This podcast may contain explicit language. This is the Dynasty Download Podcast. Welcome to the Dynasty Download, the show where we prove Dynasty League fantasy is the best form there is. I'm Tom Duncan. Co-host, Ethan Hamilton. And tonight we are previewing the NF or excuse me, reviewing the NFL championship games of 2021. And if we sound a little somber tonight, uh, we are some disappointed Packers fans. Uh, you're just going to have to bear with it. Uh, we do not take the fandom out of our fantasy playing. We wear it on our sleeves, and th- this was disappointing, to say the least. And I-, I don't know how else to really put it. So there are only two teams left. There is one game left, and there are only two episodes left to this season uh, outside of this one. So I guess three, if you will. We'll be here with you next week to preview the Super Bowl matchup. I really don't want to do that right away. Uh, The pain's a little fresh. Uh, Also, I think there's going to be some analysis and some other things that are going to be coming out. So because next weekend is not a NFL weekend, uh, we get a little bit of a break. So we will preview next week, and then we will be doing a Super Bowl recap and taking you then into free agency Uh, We will not be doing a Combine episode since it seems like everybody's just going to be doing Pro Days and that uh, people are going to be able to view them remotely due to the pandemic. Everybody wear a mask. Yes, we'll just put that on the front end. I know we usually save it for the end, but, you know, it's always good to throw those in there a little early. So, but we will have a draft preview and some other things Coming down the pike, uh, we might be trying out some video um, opportunities here as we go along. Uh, I know that we have some uh, people very interested in being on the draft preview episode. We are also going to be doing a State of the League episode. Uh, We're going to be re-reviewing everybody's teams individually. We'll probably put those um, together here in small bits over the the course of the offseason and kind of drop those individually. So... Uh, With that being said, let's get started on the game that we really don't want to talk about, but we do owe you guys the opportunity to hear our thoughts. So the Buccaneers go into Green Bay, win 31 to 26, and we don't know whether Green Bay is going to be back. They have a lot of free agents moving into this one, but before we get to the off-season aspect for it, let's just talk about the game itself what for you was the key moment in this game I don't really think there is one key moment for me I think there's just a handful of them and it all comes down to the inability to score in the red zone Uh, for a team that was I think we were like 80 percent for a conversion rate in the red zone this year the highest in the history of the NFL yeah we were god-awful the Packers were just god-awful down there in the red zone so I think it was just Every time that they're in the red zone, I think that was a key moment where we didn't convert. I think those were key moments of the game. Yeah, I guess I could see where the field goal scenario does come in. For me, the key moment in the game um, is one that I don't think anybody of the talking heads has mentioned. It was, what, fourth and, I think, like four, fourth and eight, something like that, uh, about midfield with 12 seconds left in the half. And most of the Packers played 
up to try and stop the sideline throws. They got one conversion and to the sideline, so the half didn't end. They had about eight seconds left. Everybody assumed they would be throwing the ball to the sideline, and so everybody was, again, trying to protect short to prevent a field goal. Even if you give up the field goal there, it's 17-10. to 10. It's a one-score game going into the second half. You're going to get the second-half kick. Instead, they throw it deep into the end zone, get the touchdown. Now it's an 11-point game. By the time we get to the early part of the third quarter, that turnover, the quick touchdown, and Green Bay's down in an 18-point hole. And I think at that point, it was going to be extremely difficult to come back. Uh, I know that there was some symmetry to the fact that Brady was down 18 points in the Super Bowl to the Falcons and came back. And I thought for a few glimmers of hope that we had a shot to really do it. Um, And I do use that term, we, because I am an owner. So just eat it, everyone. But uh, it, it just ended up being too big of a hole to try and climb out of. Yeah, I mean, for me, I understand that, too. And, yeah, I was baffled by the coverage that was called. I don't know if you've seen the all-22 angle of it, but Chris Godwin is streaking down the middle of the field, and then what's-his-face Miller is on the outside with Kevin King. There were three defenders on Chris Godwin at one point before the safety then started heading over towards Scotty Miller. Obviously, he was too late. But it was like zone underneath with man and then uh, safety over the top. It was just a stupid, stupid, stupid call at the end of the half. And you're right. You know, you kick a field goal, which I didn't think they were going to be able to convert anyway. But, you know, I was surprised by that. Even when they were down 18, though, and we were talking about it in their text messaging, I felt pretty decent about it just because I know how explosive and how hot the offense can get. And they got close and they had plenty of opportunities pick after pick and then a missed pick. I think that was Chandler Sullivan that dropped one. Uh, I think it was Redmond. Oh, was it? Okay. But either way, but I thought they got a pick like right after that though. There were plenty, there were plenty of opportunities to win this game that you were talking about. Definitely. And after the interceptions as well in the red zone, there were plenty of opportunities to win this game. So I don't think it comes down to, one play like a lot of people are are talking about and i think we're about to get into in this next segment so i won't throw my thoughts in that no too you're, much, you're fine if you want to if you want to kind of preview it a little bit because everybody was, expects us to talk about the other two plays or the other two decisions again i agree with you wholeheartedly this goes back to when you and i were in high school and we were playing basketball and there were so many games that we got into close scrapes where It was a call in the last couple of minutes or something else, and I distinctly remember, and I've kept it with me since then, that the referees don't necessarily decide the game because there are 15 other things that change the game throughout the course of things. And I think you only get this through the benefit of time and experience that, you know, in our 20s and 30s, we're now able to look back on a little bit more maturely and say, yeah, okay, we get it. When you're 15, you think every call is the biggest thing in the world because, you know, LeBron whines like he's 15 yet, but that's because he's LeBron. You can't expect to act or get every call like LeBron does, or frankly should. So I I think it's a little bit different in the imitation, but in the same way, like, I don't blame the refs for what happened in the game. I blame the refs for inconsistency. Mm. If you're going to make 
and so I guess for context sake, if if for whatever reason you've been under a rock for the last few days, what was it, fourth and or no, third and like five or something like that? And I knew that the uh, Buccaneers were going to put the ball in the air because uh, they hadn't been able to run, save for the one run that they got for the touchdown uh, earlier on in the game where they had him bottled up and somehow he squirted out and got around the edge and nobody could take down Fournette. But uh, they hadn't really been able to run more than like four or five yards all game. And that was about what they needed in order to convert the third down. If they don't do that, they're punting the ball back to Green Bay at that point with probably a minute and a half left in the game. And they call the pass interference. My number one thought was, why the hell do you wait six seconds so you weren't clear to call the foul immediately? If you're not clear, you cannot throw the flag in that moment. It has to be 100% that you are convicted beyond a reasonable doubt that that was the thing. Was it a foul? Absolutely. But here's the other part of it. Both teams clearly on a number of occasions, interceptions and other things, all friggin' game were holding guys. Uh, the Alan Lazard uh, play where he got picked off in the first half that led to that hold, uh, what I think might be the key moment or, or not of the game, you know, or I can't remember which uh, Buccaneers quarterback or cornerback it was, but he was clearly holding Lazard mm-hmm. on that play. Yep. And they were doing that the whole game. Devontae was basically getting dragged down about five or six yards down the field where like they were uh, acting like he was bobbing for apples. They were just pushing him his top upper half down the whole game. But in that moment, all of a sudden, we have a non-convicted person making the biggest call of the game, which goes contrary to how you've called the game up till that point. Like... The other part of it to me is has always been, as the fans, we always say, let the guys decide it out on the field, especially at the end of the game. And what you've done is an exact role reversal. And so it just pains me that in that moment that you haven't called it, had you called it five or six other times and we could expect it, I'd be at least more reasonable because it was a clear holding on the play. But you haven't called it up to that point, and now it basically decides the end of the game because, for all intents and purposes, by that point, the game is over. I mean, they had to do some creative play calling in order to get it to that point or whatever it was. But even so, like, the game is going to be over. So the play before it doesn't matter to me as much. So here's where we're going to go with it. I don't want to discuss the penalty because the refs really don't decide the game. And I've gone enough on my rant for that one. But the the other big play, and you knew it the minute that they uh, didn't go for it on fourth down that that was going to be the talk. But do you agree with not going for it on fourth down there? I don't know if agree is necessarily the the word for it, but I don't disagree with it either you know what i mean i'm not up in arms like every other fucking person on the planet is about this and now i'm gonna go on a rant because i'm actually i i'm pissed go right ahead i'm pissed off at the type of fans that we have the type of fans that we are i love the packers i love them i love them i love them i hate packer fans (laughs) i hate packer fans we're stupid we're entitled as shit Mm-hmm. And we just think everything is supposed to go our way as we're sitting here on our couch 
eating brats, drinking beer, thinking that we know better than the guys that watch more film in one day than we've watched in our entire life. That's what pisses me off. So for me, I guess I understand the call. You had zero yards. You've gained zero yards on three straight plays. You're down there in the red zone. You've gained zero yards. It's now fourth and whatever. Your defense has been playing much better in the second half. You've been stopping Mm -hmm. them in the run. Kenny Clark has been having a fucking day. And you know they have to run the ball, and chances are they're going to have to pass the ball one time. One time. It's also on top of the two-minute warning, so now you have four chances to stop the clock. Take the points. I also get everybody else's argument. You go for it on fourth down. You don't make it. They're down there anyway, and then you still have the timeouts and all that, and you can still stop it. All right, I get all that too. But to act like you know better and to act like he should be fired or just that they just don't trust Aaron Rodgers or anything like that, that type of shit pisses me off. Because one, people, you don't know better. And the type of people that I was getting into the compliments or the the arguments with are people that maxed out at high school football. Like, that was it. And I'm not saying you don't know the game or anything like that, but I'm telling you, it's so much different than just being like going in Madden and being like, you know what, fuck it. What's there to lose? So that's where I am at it. I think it's the game was so much more than just this one play. And we talked about it in the earlier thing. My whole thing is you've been riding with this team all year long, the highs and the lows. And for people to call for Matt LaFleur's job or people to say, you know what, Aaron, get the hell out of here, all this other stuff. Or just to even to say, like, to understand it as a loser mentality. It's not a loser mentality. It's I understand because I understand the game and I understand the thought process. If it was one of those things where, like, what the hell is he doing? Yeah, I'd be pissed off. But for you to say something like, well, if I I'd do it while you're sitting on your couch or even my girlfriend said, why aren't they going? OK, great. Give her the headset. You coach the fucking defense, and yeah, we'll be good. We'll win Super Bowls for years. It's just, I hate Packer fans, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, I think that's fan bases everywhere, and I I, I give it whatever it's worth. And in most opinions, I think most people that watch football don't know a damn thing. Like, just off, it's why I can't stand going to the games, because there's always going to be one idiot that's way over drunk who's screaming stuff that makes no sense absolutely, or people making inane comments. Maybe that's a conceited point of mine, but, like, I remember, I'm a short, fat, balding man. I was never going to be an athletic godsend. So if I was ever going to compete with anybody in athletics or whatever else, my dad told me from a very early age, I had to be smarter than everybody else. And I had decent hands, I didn't have a great catch radius because my arms are also stubby. Yeah, I mean, let's let's just face it. But I knew how to set up a defender. I knew how to run a crisp route because those are things you can control. And it's often the smartest players, not the most talented, that make it in the pros. So I, to me, this is a strategy situation. And I'll make a comparable. So we're about to come up on March Madness, which I know you and I enjoy and a lot of people. It's the second most betted on event in uh, sports every year behind the Super Bowl. And it should be. It's a great testament to American sports. But every March, we get a team that's down by five with 30 seconds left. 
and they run the ball right at the basket and try and go for the layup. And there will always be the idiotic fan that says, no, take the three, take the three. And that's not what you do. In this case, Matt LaFleur made the correct decision in my mind because he extended the window of what you could do to make the win. Not only would you have had to have converted on fourth down, but because they were down eight, you would have essentially had to score touchdowns on back-to-back plays. You are now minimizing your window. And yes, you would have still had all the timeouts, but you wouldn't have had the two-minute warning because you wouldn't have had all of the time to run all of those things down. Not to mention that everybody that says in, normally I'm a proponent of going for it on fourth down, like on the one yard line or whatever else, because you're going to back up the other team into an untenable situation as far as down and distance. But given that everybody expected you or they have to protect against the onside kick, they ended up on the 17, I think it was. So it's not like you gave up tons of field position either. So you had the two-minute warning, three timeouts, you were only down five, which meant you could have won in regulation. You've been stopping their runs pretty much all day, save for one. So you're going to have to stop one pass. Yep. I would much rather have that than having to make two touchdowns on consecutive plays and that be the difference in the game. And you've now chosen that, yes, maybe you took the ball out of Rodgers' hands, but in that particular instance— it's a team game. But what did what did they show in the red zone all day long anyway? Absolutely fucking nothing. Nothing. What as a coach you're standing there knowing what your team has done lately in the red zone and now knowing how your defense has played against the run. The logical explanation, the logical choice is, yeah, take the points and let's take our chances. We extend the window a little bit and hopefully Hopefully, hopefully we can get the ball back into our MVP MVP's hands. But just because the MV, just because he's the MVP doesn't mean magic is just gonna pop out of nowhere just because. Like they hadn't proved anything all day long down there. So what makes you think that we're gonna prove it again on a fourth and eight? You know, I I'm I'm with you. You know, if he would have went for it, I would have understood that too. But the what makes me mad is people saying that he's the stupidest guy in the room that he's that he had no idea what he's doing and he should be fired and Aaron Rodgers should leave that type of shit pisses me off let me tell you this straight out and this is your message from me Uncle Tom to the rest of you the Packer Nation listen up here for a second Matt LaFleur is going to be head coach Mark Murphy is going to be president Brian Gutekunst is still going to be the GM Mike Patton is going to be the defensive coordinator, and Aaron Jones will be the starting quarterback for next season. If any of those changes, I will be literally shocked. Because the defense actually played fairly well, save for a couple of plays. Like, I I know everybody wants to burn everybody for the, the Kevin King and whatever else. Like, Kevin King, as far as coverage and the rest of it, yeah, he had his issues. But more than anything else, and I don't know why they don't teach this, but the deep ball, for because Aaron Rodgers does this to teams too, they throw it in such a manner that the way it comes down, it seems weird to defenders. And for whatever reason, he couldn't locate the ball on a bunch of these deep passes, particularly early in the game. But they scored three points in the last 28 minutes of the game. 
So, like, let's not make this out to be something that it was uh, a terrible thing. We got absolutely run over in a championship game the year before, and the defense against a pretty good offensive line and a pretty good running football team pretty much shut out for an entire half another team to even allow you back into the game. So, as a Packer fan, I am just fine with the brain trust that is currently there. They have made a lot of smart decisions. I don't agree with all of them. Um, particularly a couple of decisions in the draft, although I am still high on Jordan Love, and you can all suck it as far as I'm concerned on that one too. Uh, I will go down with the ship on that one because I was pumped when they made that pick, but that's for very different reasons. There are smarter football people in that building than any of you out there, and I will go down the the ship with them every day and twice on Sunday. So, all right, getting to another one that's going to take me on its own uh, thing. Um, This is the one time I'm going to entertain uh, the prospect of whatever goes on on first fake on ESPN. Aaron Rodgers choking. Fuck off. (laughs) Fuck off. He literally had the best stats save for the one interception, which I don't even think was necessarily his fault, of the entire weekend. And you want to talk about him choking? I mean, give me a fucking break. Like, how many Super Bowls did Tom Brady barely show up in? There are at least three in my mind where he had shit games, including two years ago when he won against the Rams in what had to be one of the most pitiful games I've ever watched in a championship game. You don't win by yourself, even at quarterback. Like, Tom Brady has been gifted the fact that he had a lot of great defenses and possibly the best defensive strategist I've seen in my lifetime, quarter or being his primary guy to support his being a really good, but to me, has never been the best quarterback in football. Just peering out. I thought Peyton Manning was better in his time as a quarterback. I've thought since uh, Manning basically left that mantle that either uh, Drew Brees was a better quarterback for a time, Aaron Rodgers was better, and now Pat Mahomes is better. He has never been the best quarterback in the sport at any one moment. But you know what? I have to respect the fact that he does win. But he wins with his team. He had the worst statistical game of anybody this weekend. And nobody's talking about that because they won. And I'm so tired of this take or, you know, hot take bullshit that we constantly get. Oh, it, it is infuriating. Why this would ever come up as a topic just blows my mind that we need to devolve ourselves into such negativity. The Packers played a really good game. But they didn't make or make certain plays when they needed to, and it was a really tough matchup for them. The Buccaneers are a good team that made a lot of big plays and a lot of key plays and made possibly the more aggressive plays and the big plays when they needed to at the end of both halves. Okay, you're not going to win every day, and they made the plays they needed to. So does that mean that Green Bay choked? No. Can it be both things? Can it be that we have nice things where both teams played their hardest and one team just lost? God. I got nothing because I think it's a stupid question. (laughs) Well, that's... 
You know. All right. You know. So no, I'm not. I'm not saying like I just. No, I. I, 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 get I you know, I'm just tired of hearing. I'm just tired of hearing about it. Uh, I I turned all of that shit off. Like, move on. I mean, and also the suggestions that Aaron Rodgers is looking for a way out of town. Dude, you asked him that question in a moment of vulnerability when this whole season has been about him realizing that he doesn't have all the time left in the world in football, and he just lost in what would have been a career moment for him. Like, what do you expect him to say? Just just dumb reporting, dumb clickbaity answers, and dumb clickbaity con- conversations and hot takery. Just, God, I, I, I'm not a media basher, but sports media needs to, like, find the ability to be nuanced for once. Good Lord, this is just dumb. All right, so, as we've done with every team that has lost through the last couple of weeks, what are the fantasy prospects for Green Bay next season? Here are some notable uh, free agents that Green Bay is going to have. Their all-pro center, Corey Lindsley. Their uh, second wide receiver, Alan Lazard. Their top tight end, who happened to catch 11 touchdowns this year, Bob Tanyan. Um, or Tunyon, excuse me, uh, like Funyon. Uh, Aaron Jones. Jamal Williams. I think they're... A couple of other defensive starters, particularly Kevin King, who after this game, I don't know if anyone would allow him back in the stadium, but that's more of a fan thing, I think, than the team. So what are the potential fantasy prospects? You're potentially taking away the top two running backs, even though you drafted a second round running back going into this year who did play decently well, even in the playoffs here. You're taking away possibly the top tight end and the second or third receiver on this team. And a where do they go from here uh, as far as a franchise and how they reconstruct the roster is going to be interesting going into the offseason. Again, I do expect Aaron Rodgers back. Obviously, Devontae Adams is going to be there. But past that, what do you think the prospects are for this team going to next year? You know, Aaron was already, or I guess it. some people are saying today that he's looking to get a new contract already. Um, so I don't know if he's looking to restructure and free up more money for some other people or if he's looking to get what he thinks he deserves now that he's going to win the MVP. Either way, I think he should get whatever he thinks. Um, but, you know, it's kind of hard to tell because you're right. COVID did not really help the Packers in this situation with the cap not going up at all, maybe yep. even going down. So yep. that this was an awful time because there's a lot of big names coming up. I'd love to say I see Aaron Jones coming back. Uh, if Aaron Rodgers doesn't restructure his deal, I don't think Aaron Jones comes back. And personally, I I don't know. I I would maybe much rather have Corey Lindsley back, and maybe Bobby. But you know, I for me, I don't I don't know. If Aaron Jones is gone, I think AJ Dillon is going to be a nice fantasy addition. He'll get a lot of touchdowns down in the red zone as well. From, they they got to address a, wide receiver, though, too, because is Devin Funches coming back? Or is he on a one-year deal, or was it a two-year deal? So technically, it would be, uh, because you deferred, it would be applied toward, ne- toward next season. So when the new league calendar starts, I think that's March 1st, he would technically be a member of the Packers at that point. But, you know, what is he going to do? He's basically been out of football for two years. 
yeah. more or less, rehabbing for one year, and I, I don't know what his habits are going to be like. Plus, we still don't know what the exact future or what normal is going to be by the time we get to September either. So if he took off through that time, I don't know what his feelings are going to be going into August or September and the rest of that, where I honestly think that it's more likely that Green Bay ends up cutting that contract and just trying to take it off the books. I don't know if they're going to have to incur a cap hit because of it, but, you know, uh, I can't imagine it's going to be big with that being only a one-year deal. Personally, I would take Lindsley over all of them right now, you know, Jones, Williams, Lazard, uh, Tanyan, and I, I think it's simply a matter of he's the best player possibly at his position right now where you need to really solidify because you don't know what David Bakhtiari is going to be back if he's going to be back for the start of next season, which I actually somewhat doubt given how late into the year that he ended up blowing up his knee. Now, he doesn't need as much lateral quickness or agility in order to play, but coming only like nine months after uh, a ACL tear is going to be tough, even as a left tackle. So. I, I think they're going to need all the help they can get on the offensive line. And frankly, I think there's a lot they're going to need to rebuild in the offense. You're going to have two of the biggest pieces, but I can't imagine in any way that Aaron Jones is back. To a certain part of it, I'm not sure Jamal Williams is back either. I know he might get a better deal because he was the backup, but I think it's more likely that Green Bay is going to try and maximize a uh, sheer amount of picks and turn what they already did in Dylan and DeGuara and Love into some of these other guys, because Tim Boyle is also a free agent, so I don't know if he comes back at the potential cap number that he would incur. So, you know, and they do have a couple of other offensive linemen that they can work in. Rick Wagner's likely to come off the books, and he didn't look great in this game. You know, Billy Turner, I think, is still uh, on our roster for going forward. And I know Lane Taylor is coming off of that ACL uh, terror to begin the season as well. He's coming off the books. I know he's a open free agent. You don't know what his viability is going to be. So there are a lot of question marks on this offense. But overall, if you've got Aaron Rodgers and you've got Devontae Adams, you've got a pretty good play caller and you've got decent enough with um, AJ Dillon. Uh, I think it's more than likely that they probably are going to end up with Bob Tanyan back. I got to like what we're capable of doing. I just don't know right now with all these question marks exactly what they're going to be. I think Aaron Rodgers is probably below the top five for me right now, not just on a uh, dynasty perspective, but just fantasy purely, because I think there are a lot of other great quarterbacks, particularly ones that run that are going to give you a little bit more value in just that area. Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, um, Deshaun Watson, those kind of guys. Pat Mahomes, that that sort of thing. So throw that in there. But Devontae Adams could very well be the number one pick next season with how wide receivers performed in the way that the NFL has been going right now. So I don't expect him to produce quite at the same level. I don't think he'll have 18 touchdowns, but I don't think there's been a year that he's been uh, completely healthy uh, for at least uh, 13 games that he hasn't had at least double-digit touchdowns. So I would expect that to happen. Probably get it in the... Uh, 120 target, 100 catch range again, and have a huge season if he's healthy. So knock on wood. But past that, who knows? And I think a lot of the NFL is going to be on one-year deals or possibly short contracts because of the the situation, because everybody's going to be dealing with it. So where do you get uh, a couple of breaks from players for basically run it back one more year? 
I think that's a high possibility in a lot of situations too. So we'll see. I, I think there's a lot to be in this off season and you and I are going to be here to cover it. All right, let's get to the other game. Just before I even start from that point, the Chiefs did win 38 to 24 and it really wasn't that close by uh, the time we got to the end. But how much of this game did you actually watch? Not very much. I, I was sulking. Figured. I was sulking. I, I wondered as much. Uh, I watched the whole thing because I figured, A, you might not be. <laughs> and I understood exactly why. And my dad did the same thing. Although my dad didn't even watch most of the third quarter because he was sulking after the Scotty Miller touchdown. I had to call him and he's like, oh, uh, okay, I guess I'll turn it back on. That was so it's when his we were fault. down like five or something. So it's but. his fault. No, because we got like all three of the interceptions after he turned the game back on. Oh, so he should have turned it off for offense. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> it, it's hard to know. Anyway, the point being uh, that uh, I did watch this game. The Bills rushed out to a nine-point lead early. Uh, they had some of the same struggles in the red zone. The Chiefs' defense was actually a lot better than I expected them to be in this game, and it kind of really held the Bills down. Um Steve Spagnuolo continues to be one of the great championship uh, defensive coaches. Like, during the course of the regular season, not great, but when it gets into these one-game scenarios, he seems to be a weird magician when just creating game plans for the playoffs. I don't know what it is. Like, the 07 Giants, the 2011 Giants, and then last year's Chiefs, he's just seemingly a wizard at getting these teams to play uh, way above their talent level. So with that being said, Travis Kelsey has a huge game in this one. For that matter, so does Tyreek Hill. Uh, Other than the muffed punt early on, I think this game would have gotten a lot uglier a lot sooner. And the Chiefs basically showed up. I, I know I'm kind of doing my analysis by myself at the moment, but I guess you might have seen at least some of the highlights. Did the Chiefs finally show exactly what we thought they were all along? That, that's really the only question. I mean, they got down early and they didn't panic at all. They've been there a million times. They're a team that really believes in themselves, especially the offense. The defense kind of just needs to hold the other team at bay, you know, not let them explode. The offense will get going. We all know that they got some of the fastest guys on the field and then probably one of the best tight ends that this game has seen. And last 50 years or so so yeah uh, they're peaking right at the right time they're a very very dangerous team and but we've all known that but let's not act like they haven't been doing this all year long right they're well they what, haven't they finished the season the last, right 14 they had, and two yeah and they probably would have been 15 and one had they played everybody in, so they're in winning the final they're winning the they're winning games they, they were winning games blow. but it was all one score games like the last uh multi-score game that they had won and they were doing this against the browns before mahomes got hurt but the last multi-score win that they had had was against the jets in like week one of november so it, i think they're the biggest questions were were the chiefs uh not that much better than everybody else or were they just like um waiting to tr- flip the switch into playoff mode and to be quite honest, and you, if you remember last season, and I know it's hard to remember over a year ago when this entire year has felt like five, but if you remember back to that uh, divisional game against Houston where they spotted them like 21 points to begin the game and then they roared back and it was 
I think it wasn't even close after that. It was like 56 to 28 or something was the final score. Some ridiculous number. Or uh, even in the AFC Championship game, they spotted the Titans like 14 points before. They just poured it on after that. They spot teams like double-digit points, and they gave up nine points to start this game, then came out and ran like a 60-yard reverse play to Mecole Hardman. And after that, you're like, okay, yeah, the Chiefs are here. Like, they just have this ability to flip a switch because of how ridiculous that offense is and the playmakers they have in it. They just have so much speed that you cannot account for. Tyreek Hill is on another level. Miko Hardman, if you get him into open space, is just ridiculous. And Pat Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, uh, boy, I can't think of another pass-throwing, receiving duo that I think I would be more confident in in a tough situation. I think bar none at this point. Like, he seems to be able to throw it to Kelsey in any situation on the field, any down and distance, and somehow they pick up the the, the first down to keep everything going. And it, it seems to be there every single time. So I, I really, as uh, difficult a matchup as the Buccaneers were, I really don't see how the Chiefs are going to not blow out Tampa Bay. Like, I'm, I'm extremely confident after watching them play against the Bills because they're going to have two weeks to get healthy. Andy Reid is playing with, like, such ridiculous BDE right now that I, I just, I, I really don't know how anybody's going to stop them. Like, it, the opportunity was when Mahomes was off the field and uh, the Browns had an opportunity to uh, possibly take the lead or go ahead in that game because you could smell some blood in the water with how shocked they were after that. All right, so I guess uh, I don't have a whole lot of questions from this game. There wasn't a lot of controversy. I'm not even going to really break down much of the game. I just thought that Kansas City was clearly the better team, and you just tip your hat at that point. Like, the Bills had a really great season. I think they've taken the right attitude. You know, Stephon Diggs stayed on the field to watch the other team. Josh Allen is somewhat defiant. You know, we're, we're going to be back. And you like that from a younger team. They're going to have most of the coaching staff back together. They're going to have most of the players, and they're going to have another draft to uh, possibly supplement that. You know, maybe taking a running back that can get be, or get you more than two yards down the field at a time, uh, where Josh Allen doesn't have to be your running back as well as your quarterback. But I guess what are the fantasy prospects for Buffalo? I, I don't think there are too many uh, free agents for this team. And going into next season, I just imagine them basically running it back. Yeah, they're going to run it back. It'll, I don't know if you heard this or not, but Cole Beasley was basically playing with a broken leg for like the last six yeah. weeks of the year. That's And ridiculous. he still led them in receiving yeah. for this game. Yeah, that's super impressive. Um, you know, hopefully they get themselves a running back because they need a running back. Um, I think that Zach Moss can be that guy. But um, it's possible. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. You know? It took a while for all of the running backs for this year to develop into somebody, so maybe he just needs some more time. But I, I do think they have to devote at least a little bit of attention to the run. And not that John Brown and Cole Beasley and Stephon Diggs weren't good this year, but I think they would benefit from maybe somebody else, either at the tight end position or something else, where you just have another playmaker. 
Yeah, I mean, you just got to get more weapons around Josh Allen, really, is what you got to do. And you got to do it before his rookie contract comes up. You know what I mean? You got to get loaded up as much as you can before the rookie contract comes up when you really got to pay the dude. So there's time, but it's closing. With the, I don't know what their cap space is either, and that's just bad podcasting by me that I should have probably looked some of this stuff up for them. It was a little bit more focused on the Packers, but I, I think there are some opportunities. There's plenty of running backs and wide receivers that are going to be uh, available going into next season that would want to definitely play for Buffalo or might be able to take a slight discount in order to play there, because I think they see that there are a lot of opportunities coming. You've got a young uh, up and coming quarterback. You've got a number one wide receiver already, like just add another piece, like an Allen Robinson or something like that, where um, you could just upgrade in one more position, give you one more playmaker to really uh, put you forward just that much more. Cause I think more than anything, that's what the chiefs have is they have their two distinct playmakers in Kelsey and Hill. And I think that's what gives them more ability than just about anybody else. So we will just quickly update our fantasy playoff draft. We don't have to. Well, you finally beat me this week. You had uh, 113.55 points to my 105.35, but you are still down in the overall 392.952, 34.7. Part of that has to do with the fact that Travis Kelsey was redonkulous in 33.3 points. And uh, I didn't get a terrible game out of Josh Allen or uh, Tom Brady either. Tom Brady was by far the worst of all of the quarterbacks over the weekend, but not enough that it really mattered. So you have some opportunities because you still got Mahomes, you still got Hill. And if Tyreek Hill puts up another 200 yards in the first quarter of the Super Bowl against the Buccaneers, uh, maybe you got a shot. But uh, gotta be uh, gotta be saying that uh, I, I'm feeling pretty good that I got this one pretty well uh, in the bag. Don't you think? Yeah, the Packers losing kind of hurt me, but eh, we'll move on. Happened. So, all right, that is going to end our recap. Uh, thank you to all the listeners and dynasty players out there. We do appreciate you. We will be back again next week to preview the, we will be back again next week to preview Super Bowl 55, but until then wear a mask and we will talk to you next week. This podcast was mixed, produced and edited by Thomas Duncan it is a production of Ronnie Duncan studios, our technical provider and distributors anchor FM.